our series in John's Gospel, and today our reading is John in John 15 on page 1083. John 15, starting at verse 17, on page 1083. And this is continuing with the words of Jesus to uh, the disciples after Judas has left. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Thanks, Nicola. Let me pray as we come to look at these, these words together. Uh, Lord Jesus, as we've been studying John's gospel together as a church family, uh, we've heard recently uh, again that genuine love for you is always shown in trusting and obeying your commands, your words. Please would you help us as a church family gathered as we hear your word this morning to, to hear what you say, to trust it, uh, and to do what you ask us. Uh, we know that your words are spoken for our good and for your glory. So please help us with that this morning. Amen. Um, I love films with a happy ending. Um, you know, the ones where the guy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy, that, that kind of thing. Pride and Prejudice, love it. BBC version, by far uh, the best. You'll know some of the lines uh, if you've watched any of this kind of stuff. Elizabeth Bennet. To Mr. Darcy, from the first moment I met you, your arrogance made me realize that you were the last man in the world I could ever marry. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? We love it. Jane Austen knew we'd love it. That's why she wrote that kind of thing. Um, some of you can imagine maybe saying that uh, to some arrogant man. Uh, we love it, though, don't we? We love it because we know the happy ending is coming. Mr. Darcy to Elizabeth Bennet. In vain I have struggled. <laughs> I was made for period drama. 
Um, in vain I have struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Ardently? I'm not even sure quite what that means. But there, there we go. Look, pretend, pretend to cringe. I mean, it's not John Wick, is it? It's not a film like that. But pretend to cringe. But you love that stuff, even if you're not watching those kind of things. But you, you love it because, because it's what we want. It's what we want for ourselves. It's what we want for our families. It's what we want for our friends. Everyone kind of feeling the love. Everyone happy at the end. And it's why this part of John's Gospel that Nicholas just read for us, it's just a bit flat, isn't it? It's a bit heavy. Jesus has, in, in the previous parts that we've seen over these last couple of weeks, he's spoken to his disciples about his love for them and the love that they're meant to show to each other. But now he says, verse 18, the reading we've just had, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And then just to press the point home, verse 20, if they persecuted me, uh, they will persecute you. Uh, it doesn't feel like the happy ending. And you might think, well, steady on. Steady on, Jesus. I mean, why would, why would anyone hate us? That seems a bit extreme. I don't know if you came across this the other year. We're just going to watch it on the screen now. While my time in America isn't directly relevant, I think it gives me an extra layer of experience to draw on. Absolutely. That's very impressive. I hope I'm not blowing my own trumpet too much here. If I had a trumpet this good, I'd be blowing it non-stop. Look, I think we're done here, so... I mean, obviously, I can't say anything official right now, but you should expect a phone call. Thank you. I just find it so difficult to boast on my CV. It's just that, as a Christian, I... Ooh. What? <laughs> You're a... Christian. Yeah, okay. Uh, Is that a... No, not at all. You don't seem to mention it anywhere here. Well, why would I? No, fair point. I'm not planning to run your polymer factory along biblical lines. Oh, no. Could you just give me a second, please? <laughs> Denise, may I borrow you for a second? I'm just interviewing Patricia Hughes here. Oh, Patricia. How wonderful to meet you. Do you know, we're all so excited that you've applied for this role. It's really very flattering when somebody of your count. Oh. Yeah. Okay. There's a problem with me being a Christian, isn't there? Absolutely not, legally speaking. But you both <laughs> seem uncomfortable for some reason. Uh, do you think that it makes me untrustworthy? No. <laughs> Incompetent? Mm -mm. A bit weird? Well, in that case, I'll just withdraw my application. Oh, now. It's funny, isn't it? It's been perfectly normal to be a Christian in this country for the last 1,500 years or so. But now, well... Really sorry about this. It's fine. I forgive you. <laughs> Lucky escape. Yeah, what a nutter. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the Tracy Ullman show. I... I don't know much about Tracy Ullman. I don't think she's a Christian. She's worked uh, in recent years over in the States, but I think it's a really interesting observation, a mainstream comedy show on the, on the BBC. Um, um, coming back in and thinking, ah, this is how Christians are viewed here. Uh, and you know what? I've had people tell me, 
in their line of work, you don't want to be known as a Christian. You keep your head down. Don't mention that. Or how about this? I think Sophie will pop this up in a moment. Boxing Day last year, the Foreign Secretary commissioned a report on the global persecution of Christians. Uh, they released an interim report. And the BBC headline was this, Christian persecution at near genocide levels. I mean, that's shocking, isn't it? The report was meant to be out at Easter, but there was so much information to gather, they could only put out the interim report. Uh, the full report will be coming out in June. The, the Washington Post, in July 2017, uh, they wrote a piece on it and said, uh, the statistics are horrific. More than 300 people are murdered monthly uh, because of their Christian faith around the world. And that's not including the church burnings and the beatings. And then Sri Lanka, uh, this year, 258 people killed in a single day. And the fact that three of the locations where churches crowded for Easter lets you know who was being targeted. It was Christians, men, women, and children. And you come back to verse 18, don't you, what Jesus says, if the world hates you, and you realize this isn't an overactive victim complex. Well, not even if you listen to the kind of secular reports in our current days, they would seem to suggest those kind of statements are a bit understated. Why the hatred? Look, there might be all sorts of contributing kind of social and cultural factors. We might want to think about those kind of things. And maybe even with a job interview, I don't know how you feel when you see things like that. I, I cringe slightly. You might even want to say, look, at times Christians don't always help themselves. They could say things in a better way and like, fair enough. But the level of hostility, you've got to ask Why? And you really do have to ask why, because if you're a Christian, then verses 18 and 20, they're speaking to you too. And if you want to know the deep reason, if you want to know the deep reason for all of this, that's this passage. And here's the answer. It's this, Jesus exposes sin's hatred. Now, I think if you talk to most people about sin, probably inside and outside the church, immediately what will come to mind is a kind of list of things. Uh, a list of things that are kind of rights and wrongs, you know, murder, stealing, lying, those kind of things. But you listen to Jesus here and you spot, he, he's talking in a kind of different way, isn't he? Uh, verses 22 and 24 that we just had read for us, he's definitely talking about sin. That's what he's got in mind. But the conversation around it, it's, the language is all relational. Did you notice that? Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name. It's personal. Verse 23, whoever hates me. Verse 25, even referring back to the Old Testament, ideas that were picked up in the Old Testament, they hated me without reason. It's hatred towards someone. And if you've never really got your head around this before, it's important that you do, because Jesus is saying sin is really hatred towards God. An antagonism that results in an active resistance, a contentiousness. And it makes sense of those kind of conversations that you maybe have had at times. Have you, you had conversations like this where someone says, a lot of good, you Christians do, I know a lot of people who don't believe in God and they're more Christian than some of you. 
And look, I get it. I understand exactly what they mean. Sometimes Christians behave in terrible ways. And I can be one of them. But the mistake that kind of thinking is making, and it is kind of understandable, is thinking that being a Christian in the first place is just about how you measure up to some kind of list of right and wrong. And if it is, well, then I know some Christians who are not doing very well. And I know some people who don't believe in God who, who seem to be doing much better on the list of right and wrongs. But Jesus says that's not really what sin is. Not at its heart. He says, no, sin is hatred towards God. And that means I could, I could do other things. I could, I could give to charity. I could try and help people. And it would still be sin, bizarrely enough. Because I'm doing those things, living in God's world without, with an attitude of opposition to him. And that's the sin bit of sin, really. And it can show itself in, in murder and stealing, of course, all those kind of things, telling lies, but it's in any activity. It's saying, I hate God. I'll reject him. And that's really bad. Chris was a guy I, I knew in Sheffield. We used to, to meet up uh, every now and again. He, he loved to talk about Christian things. He was a really bright and thoughtful guy. We used to talk about Christian things. He didn't like Christianity. And I think he would say to me in light of this, look, David, I don't hate God. People don't hate God. That's ridiculous. Your, your idea of sin in that kind of way is a nonsense. I might not be sure he exists, but that would be his fault, wouldn't it, for not making himself more clear to me, for not giving more evidence. I wish I'd been able to read this passage with him because Jesus says here, no, that's not right. No, that's not the way it is. And part of the problem with sin is that you pretend it's not there. It's not obvious that that's what Jesus is getting at until you stop and, and think about his words. So you look down at verse 22. If you've got it open in front of you, Jesus says this, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. And down in verse 24, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. He's talking about the words he's spoken and the things he's done, the way he's lived his life around people. Try, try this. I, I read this uh, the other day and, and found, it, found it helpful. See if it, see if it helps you get your head around this. Like, imagine... I don't do camping very much, but imagine uh, there's some people sitting under a big canvas. It's been stretched out, and it, it's kind of masking both the, uh, the sight and the effects of the rain. And it's absolutely chucking it down, but over time, this canvas is just filling up with water, gallons and gallons of it. And the kind of thing that if the canvas were to break, there's so much of it, the weight of it, would just be crushing, it would sweep people away, they would not survive it. And someone comes and says, you've got a big problem. There's a big problem here. Um, and they all deny it. What do you mean? We're perfectly dry, we're okay. And so what this person does is he takes out a little pen knife and he sticks a couple of little holes in the canvas. 
And when he does that, what's been there all the time becomes visible. They start to feel it. Little bits begin to drip through on them. He exposes what's really there. And Jesus is saying that's what he's done in his coming. And one big message of the Bible is is that the world is the way it is and that people are, you and me are, the way we are because of sin, because, because we turn from God. And people won't live his way. In fact, they hate him. And even as they do, one of the symptoms is that they deny it to the point where they don't even properly feel it. Their antagonism towards God. Squash it down so far. It's become normal. And so Jesus comes. God himself stepping onto the pages of human history and he confronts people. He's God up in our face. And in doing that, he draws out what was there all the time. And when he talks about God's judgment and about the need of forgiveness and about our lostness and the consequences of where we're heading to, it's like he's, he's taken a little pen knife and he's popped a couple of little holes in the canvas of their lives and the hostility to God that was always there begins to, to seep through and show itself. And because Jesus is God, how people react to him shows what they think about God. It expresses it in different ways, isn't it? From angry hostility to complete indifference. I so don't care about this person. I won't even want to engage with them. And when Jesus says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. He's not meaning so much there that there was no sin around. It wasn't that they weren't sinful. No, it's, it's more that in coming and saying the things, he says, he's exposed sin's hatred. He's drawn it out. And what do people do with this God? And well, they take him, don't they? And they nail him up on a cross. But here's the thing this morning, and it's the reason Jesus says these words to his friends and wants us to hear them as well. It's not just so much about how they're reacting to him. He's saying, look, what will happen? What do you think will happen if your life, if your family's life, if your children's life gets linked with his? What will happen if you start to say things that sound like the kind of things that Jesus says? And what will happen if through you people begin to be brought up close to God as well? What will happen if you live for God in a world that hates him? And Jesus is saying, look, don't be surprised if some conversations get awkward. Don't be surprised if Uncle Jeff puts you down for being a bit too religious and thinks he's being reasonable, but he's got the kind of snide comment about it. See, verse 18, that's what Jesus is saying. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. That's how it flows. And it doesn't mean every day someone's out to get you, but it does mean if something does happen, be sad. Be upset, be unsettled, but look, don't be surprised. Uh, for some of you, I guess you'll get it at school. And in a sense, no matter, no matter how lovely you are, 
There's no way around it. Someone finds out you're a Christian and they decide to have a go. For some, it might mean you suspect you know why the job interview was difficult after all. Someone picked up you're a Christian and took a dislike to it. And for some, sadly, for some, sadly, this Easter, it meant their families got blown to bits in a church in Sri Lanka. Well, that's what it means. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's the world we live in. And what are you meant to do? What are you meant to do if that's the world you live in? What are you meant to say to your kids when they tell you, I told a friend about Jesus, and since then they've been mocking me almost every day. How are you meant to feel when you find out, as I've done recently, a Christian family we know are moving to Chad and Boko Haram, Muslim terrorists, are known to operate in the area nearby to where they're going? What do you say to them? Oh, great, enjoy the move. Well, what does Jesus say? This is verses 26 and 27. Have you got those in front of you? Here's what he says in light of this. When the advocate comes, whom I will send from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. For you have been with me from the beginning. That's what he says. He says, keep speaking about Jesus. Why does he say that? Well, the Bible says one day Jesus will return and people will be gathered to him. There'll be a huge crowd and, and you and I will be there with everyone else. There'll be people shuffling around, wondering what's going on. And then, then you'll notice a kind of separation that's happening. And some dads will find that they're not standing with their wife and their children anymore. They'll be kind of separated. And you, you can imagine the scene. They'll be they'll get shouting over and waving and saying, I, I don't know what's going on. I'll see you in a minute. And some friends will be doing the same kind of thing. Where we're split up into different groups. We were chatting just a minute ago. And then Jesus will speak. And you realize what's happening. He's the judge. And the dividing point is between those who love him and those who've hated him. And the division is final. And it will be a day of loss for everyone who's hated him. And not only hated him, but refused his gracious offer of forgiveness. And there will be no getting back. But we're not at that day yet. And so what does this hated Savior continue to do with those who hate him? Well, he keeps speaking. And he wants those joined to him to speak about his goodness and grace too. In verses 26 and 27, he's sending his spirit so that with his help, his people can speak to in the first place. <coughs> in the first place, it's his apostles. They're the ones who were with him from the beginning, who heard and saw what he said and did. And that's the encouragement back in verse 20. If, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. If they've listened to my words, they'll, they'll listen to my words through you as well. 
But all Christians since then are to keep speaking the same apostles' message that we have in the Bible. So that before that day, before it's too late, enemies might become friends. And hate might be transformed into love. And that's a key job for our church family, isn't it? Part of what the Lord Jesus calls us to, to speak for him. We have these four foundations that we often speak about as a church family. You might have picked them up, or if you're new, you, I'm sure you'll hear them over time. We talk about belonging, community, maturity, mission. Belonging to Christ, it's our entry point. And, and community uh, as a church family together, maturing, maturity, growing together in our knowledge of the Lord. And, and mission as we speak out, so thinking about then this past week, as I've been reading this passage, two of been on my mind, uh, very obviously, this idea of mission. Jesus talks about in a serious grown-up way, doesn't he? He's not expecting us to speak about him as long as it feels comfortable. That's not what this passage can leave us thinking for a moment. He's commanding it, even though often it'll be hard. He's commanding it because he's driven by his own love and grace and compassion to speak to others, to want them to come in. And he wants us to do the same, even at great cost. And knowing at some point, if we're being honest, we're going to have to say to people, you're not just someone who deserves a bit more, deserves and needs a bit more love from God. You're enemies, not victims. But the love he's shown is to come in Jesus and to offer forgiveness and new life through his death on the cross. I've been asking myself, this past week, how often recently do I get anywhere near talking to people about Jesus that way? And we don't do it as if we're people in some kind of superior position. No, we were God's enemies too, saved by grace. But it is important to remember, isn't it, that among your neighbors, if you know Jesus, you have the news they need more than anyone else about how they can come to know God and forgiveness. To over coffee with a friend. Now, do you think you could say, you know I go to church. Can I tell you why I'm a Christian? I was also thinking about uh, this value we talk about, community. Verse 17 hit me again right in the beginning of the passage as we read it. Jesus' words, he keeps repeating it. Uh, this is my command, love each other. That's, that's Christian community, isn't it? Jesus keeps speaking about it, and I realized reading this, if we're going to follow Jesus and keep speaking about him, then I'm going to need your love and encouragement. And you're going to need mine. I'll need real Christian brothers and sisters who are committed to me and whom I'm committed to, who will challenge me, who'll encourage me, who'll keep reminding me what we're meant to be about, not to give up when it's hard. See, a group of people gathered on a Sunday, it doesn't always equal a community, does it? We could just be people in a room together. So here's a question, I guess, for us to think about just as we're drawing to a close this morning. Do you have those kind of Christian brothers and sisters here at Christ Church? Do you have people like that? Are you being a Christian brother or sister like that to others here at Christ Church? Are we growing in our community life? 
And can I mention again and encourage you, please, our small groups. We're quite big on a Sunday morning. We can't get to know everyone. That's one of the reasons we encourage small groups, home groups, MEMS on a Friday morning, pathfinders for those who are younger, grafted, wanting to build community together. Are you going along? Are you committed to them? If you just live for the short term, then when you get home from work, a glass of wine in front of the TV will be the thing you go for every time. And who wouldn't? But are you following the Savior who calls you to a challenging task to share his good news with a world that needs it and you know you're going to find it hard? The TV is not going to help. It's Christian brothers and sisters that you need. So let me encourage you again. And maybe if you've not got into one yet, come and see me and we'll get you hooked into those. And if you've been thinking it's a real effort, steal yourself again. Get along on a Friday morning, Wednesday evening, and meet with your brothers and sisters. And let's pray the Lord uses us to speak to people about his love in a world that hates him. Let's pray, and then Rachel is going to come and lead us.